0: To the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Welcome to High Praises Church today. Um, if you don't know me my name is Evan I am the student pastor here and extremely excited and extremely honored to be able to bring the Word of God to you today. I want to say thank you to Dad for allowing me to preach today. I don't know if you've noticed, but I and many other people have, that me and Dad are matching today. So we picked a great outfit. So anyways, we're looking good. Just wanted to point that out. I'm just kidding. Anyways, it's so good to be in church today. You know what I've loved? I've loved all of these songs about joy. I've loved the joyous atmosphere in the room today. I don't know about you, but I needed that. Like sometimes I've got to be reminded to smile. I'm like, all right, we're in church This is good. I'm going to be happy. Come on. Like, this is going to be a good day. So, I don't know. It's just been an awesome day in church. And I'm really excited today that we are beginning a brand new series. It's going to be a three-week series based around the church. And I'm excited to be able to kick that off. But before we do that, I just want to ask you a question. How many of you, like, you don't operate well on low sleep? Like, can I just get some hands? Yeah. I am the same way. Like, there are some people that are just freaks of nature, and they can, like, sleep for four hours, and they're good. They're going all day. They're smiling that everything's good. I am the exact opposite of that. Like, I desperately, desperately need my sleep, or I just can't even function. I remember um, one time we were going on a missions trip to Honduras, and we had to get up, like, at some stupid time. Like 4 a.m. or something. So I went and I spent the night at my cousin's house, Ryan, um, because he was going on the trip too. Well, we couldn't go to sleep early, so we probably went to bed at 12, woke up at 4. Well, I remember getting up and I'm like just groggy. Like I'm just out of my mind. And I was trying to say two things. I was trying to say that I'm so tired and it's so early. And instead, as serious as I could be, I was just like, Ryan it's so tired right now (laughs) like what I remember uh, another time this was like a few months ago there's this crazy storm outside so my wife Elizabeth woke up in in the middle of the night and then I ended up waking up but I was like I wasn't even half awake I was like an eighth awake like I wasn't even there and so I had gotten up and I don't know why but when I'm that tired and out of it like everything is delayed and that I'm really irritable at stuff that makes no sense. So I'm standing there, and she's looking out the window, and I hear just barely tiny gasps, just like, just like that. Well, 10 seconds later, her gasp finally hits my brain and sets me into a rage. And so I'm standing in the bathroom, and I go, oh my gosh don't ever do that again and she's like what i'm like that she's like what i'm like that noise she's like what noise like i am freaking out on her right now because of some random noise and then finally this one's not even funny but it did happen one year um i was in high school and i went to a clemson carolina game and i believe it was a night game I was in the heat all day, um, and then I was at the game, and then it was just a crazy day. I got to bed late, and I got up early that morning, and on my way to church, I completely fell asleep at the wheel. Like, horrible, terrible thing. I know, I'm fine. I'm still alive. But it was awful. And so I remember, um, I don't know if those of you who come this way, but Midway Presbyterian, I got to Midway Presbyterian and forgot everything after that. And then I ended up waking up right before the Rivendale entrance. I woke up off the side of the road screaming, I mean nailed a sign, took that bad boy out, and then just stopped and was like, oh my gosh. And that sign to this day is not there. So sorry about that, guys. (laughs) They never fixed it. Anyways, please be careful around that curve. There used to be a sign there telling you that, and I took it out. (laughs) But we just, as, as people, like we need our rest. Like we are not good. We are not efficient. We are not in our right minds when we don't have our rest. We are a people who desperately need rest. And here's the thing. God has granted us a means of of both physical rest, but he's also designated that we need a spiritual rest. And the way that God has done this is through setting a pace for us, a weekly schedule of six days of work, but on the seventh, we take a break, we cease. The Hebrew word is Sabbath, that we stop. And it's on this day that we get to rest physically, that we get to stop and breathe, that we don't have to do any work, but it's also on this day that we rest and we rejuvenate spiritually. But here's the problem with the American church today, is that many of us, we've prioritized our physical rest on Sunday to the detriment of our spiritual rest. Leonard Sweet, a, a author, a pastor, a theologian, said this. Fifteen years ago, 40% of church members attended church four times a month. In 2018, only 10% did. And we as Christians who above everybody should be able to recognize our need for spiritual rest and development are neglecting it and placing it to the side and telling God, we don't really care about his schedule, we'll set our own. But the problem is like just like when we don't get enough physical rest, when we don't get enough spiritual rest and spiritual rejuvenation, our performance starts to, to dip. And the reason that so many of you in this room, your anxiety levels are up to here today, despite however many mountain trips you go to and however many hours you spend on Lake Hartwell, is because you haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to bring refreshing to your heart. The reason that you used to have victory over a certain sin or temptation in your life, but you felt yourself slipping is because you are spiritually weak and in need of some rest and nourishment. The reason that the weight of this world is weighing down on you so heavily is because you think that you can do it on your own, but you can't. God set a pace for us, and can we as the American Christian church continue to go on skipping church, not being involved, not being in, or do we need to be a part of a local church as much as possible? I say we need to be here every single Sunday, every single Sunday that we possibly can so that we can be rejuvenated by God's word and his spirit to carry on in this life. So here's what I want to do today. I know that typically we preach a certain style of sermon that we would call an expository sermon. That's just a fancy word for this. We take one Bible passage and we expose the truth of it. So you'll see usually we're in, we're in one Bible passage. Today we're going to preach what's called a topical message, which means that our topic today is the Sabbath, and I'm going to be bouncing around to a lot of different scriptures, which we usually don't do. So I just want you to just, just put your seatbelt on, just hang along with me. Get there with me. It's going to be great. But today as we study this topic of Sabbath, this topic of rest, the first thing that we need to realize is that before we get to the weekly schedule of rest, we need to notice that there is an eternal principle of Sabbath. That you and I, all of us, We are headed towards an eternal Sabbath, an eternal rest. That's God's plan for your life. So I want to show it to you in four different places. First, we're not going to throw a scripture on the the screen, but the first place of rest that we see is the Garden of Eden. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically say that it was a total place of rest, but we see this. See, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve had all of their needs met. (coughs) Excuse me. They had all of their needs met. They didn't need anything. They were in God's perfect presence all of the time. The tree of life was right there for the taking if they would have taken it. Everything that they needed was right there. And yes, they did need to work, but it wasn't frustrated work. Remember, it was after the fall that God said there would be thorns and thistles and Adam was going to have to work extra hard to produce from the ground. It wasn't frustrated work. It was a place of perpetual rest, even in their production. But then sin enters the world and God moves forward with his plan to redeem us. And then we see a place of rest somewhere else. We see it in the promised land. So what's happening is God is, is promising his people that he's going to take them to this land. So he sets them free from bondage in the land of Egypt. And he says, hey, I have promised your fathers this, and I'm promising you this. I'm going to take you into this amazing land. It's going to be flowing with milk and honey. You're not going to have any more enemies there. Nobody's going to attack you. It's going to be amazing. On that trip, uh, uh, many of the adults didn't trust the Lord. So he actually forced them to roam around for 40 years until they all died out and then their children could go into the promised land. Well, in Psalm 95, verses 10 through 11, the Lord is commenting on this event. And here's what he says. For 40 years, I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts and they do not know my ways. And watch this. So I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. God has always been leading his people into a place of rest. But then we go to the New Testament, to the book of Hebrews. And the author of Hebrews is actually commenting on this event. And he points out that for you and I, there there was a rest for the Jewish people in the promised land. But for us as Christians, there is an eternal rest to look forward to. And he says this, for if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. What is the author of Hebrews saying? That all of us are heading towards an eternal rest. And then finally, I love this, in Revelation, we get a picture of a brand new Eden that just as the first Eden was a place of rest, we are heading towards a second one. It says this, Revelation 22, verses one through five, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of its street, and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Did you pick that up? That in this brand new Eden, there is a tree of life. That the destination for all believers is a place of eternal rest. That we were created for rest and we are heading towards rest. There is an eternal principle of rest. Yet I think so often we get our eyes focused. On the here and now, and we forget about the end of the story, which is rest. And it leaves us in anxiety and worry and frustration when in reality the battle's already won. I remember, who remembers, who's a Clemson fan? Just, let's do the hands raising again, let's go. We got some Clemson fans, let's go. We thought yesterday maybe was gonna be a competition, but it wasn't. Anyways, I remember in 2016 watching Clemson win the national championship. Like, I don't know about you, but like, I remember exactly where I was. Like, this was such a crazy, awesome, iconic moment. This is so sad, but like, I was nervous before the game. Like, I don't know about you, but I was, like, nervous, nervous. Like, I can remember sitting on my couch, and I was cold. Like, I was shivering. And it wasn't because the A.C. was low. Like, I was that nervous. I was like, oh, my gosh, I hope we win it. Like, freaking out a little bit. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm trying to get blankets. And Man, it is insane. And then this whole game, they're just going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And you're like, oh, no, what is what is happening here? And then finally... Towards the end of the game, we have got to score. Deshaun gets the ball. The team is heading up the field, freaking out every single play, and then finally we make it. Six seconds left. It's do or die, and at that point, I'm like crazy freaking out. Like just jittery, just moving up and down, like doing that whole thing. They snap the ball, Deshaun throws it to Hunter Rimfro. he catches the ball, and that's it, and then we go crazy. And by we, I mean like me and my parents in my parents' house. We're just like jumping up and down, we're hugging each other. Oh my gosh, we did it! In reality, we didn't do anything. Like, I sat on the couch and ate Cheez-Its and checked Instagram 300 times. Like, I did nothing. But we did it, we're going crazy, it was awesome. Well, in preparation for this Texas A&M game that wasn't a competition, the other night I was uh, laying on my couch and and I decided to watch the highlights of the 2016 National Championship. And I just, I remember the first time being so nervous, but this time I was just calm as could be. I was just cool. Like I was just sitting there with my little phone on the couch watching every play. I kind of fist bump every now and then. It would be cool watching a play happen, but you know, it was whatever. My heart rate didn't go up. I didn't get cold, I didn't whatever, I wasn't nervous. Why? I knew how the game ended. I knew the end of the story. But I think our problem as Christians is so often we get our eyes fixed on the here and now and we forget the end of the story. That God is taking all of us into a place of eternal rest. Rest from our works. Rest from sin. Rest from the brokenness of this world. And so we allow sin and and brokenness and all the craziness of this life to just, just weigh down on us because we've forgotten how the story ends. And maybe life's getting crazy for you. You're a student, and there's, just, there's homework all the time, and you're trying to date somebody and have friends and, and do all of these different things, and life's just crazy, and you're just thinking, when is this going to end? Is this all life is? Maybe you're a parent, and your kids have hit that age where you're just driving them around everywhere and having to spend so much money on stuff and projects at work. are getting crazy, and you're trying to keep your marriage good and you're trying to do this and trying to do that, and it's just, it's just hectic right now. You're like, when, when does this end? Is this all life is? Does it get better than this? Maybe the brokenness of this world is beating down on you. Like, you just can't believe it. Like, your parents, and you never thought they'd have dementia, and they're like a total different person, and you're just like, this is so cruel, this is so difficult. You never thought you'd get that diagnosis. You never thought money would be this tight. And just the the weight and the stress of this world is just too much. You're like, when do we get a break? You're just struggling and worried. And life is crazy in the here and now. Can I help you today? The key to living in rest and freedom is that you know how the story ends. Rest assured knowing that rest is assured that however bad this life gets, it will come to an end one day and an eternity with Jesus. There is an eternal principle of Sabbath. But God doesn't just want us to look forward to the eternal Sabbath. We don't just need rest in eternity. God knows that you and I, we desperately need rest now. Here and now. Here in this life. And it's why God designated a certain pace to the week. It's why God designated this Sunday, this Sabbath day, this day of rest, because he knew what we needed. And so I want to show you three different aspects of this, this weekly Sabbath. First, the Sabbath is a creation principle. That God established the Sabbath at creation. That in six days, God created everything but on the seventh day he rested genesis chapter 2 1 through 3 thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished and on the seventh day god ended his work which he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done then god blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which god had created and made so i just want you to listen to me today the sabbath This time of rest is not a man-made thing. It's not even just a Jewish Old Testament thing. It's not just a Christian thing. This is a God thing. God established this rhythm for our life from the outset of creation. God didn't need rest. He wasn't tired. He didn't need a break. He did it for you and I so that we would live our lives and model after him. But it's not only a creation principle It's a moral principle. So I want you to look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. This is the Ten Commandments, and this is the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant, your female servant, nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So, what are we seeing here? Is that in creation there's a principle of rest, but in the Ten Commandments there is a commandment of rest, that there is a moral reality to our rest. That if God commands it, we've got to do it. Think about this the Ten Commandments we didn't get rid of. Murder is still wrong. (laughs) Lying is still wrong. Adultery is still wrong. Idolatry is still wrong. Would you not say that it's still wrong to neglect the Sabbath day? It's a moral commandment by God, but here's the good thing it's not just a creation principle. It's not just something commanded by God. It's good for you. As we jump to the New Testament, these are Jesus' words in Mark chapter 2, 27 through 28. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Did you catch that? The Sabbath was made for man, not man. For the Sabbath. God created the Sabbath to serve you. God created the Sabbath because it was good for you. For your health. For your spiritual walk. For who you are. So that you can operate best in Him. It's a creation principle. It's a moral issue. But ultimately it's good for you. And it does two things for us that I love. First, it gives us physical rest. And this is great. I mean, we all need time to just relax. Like, I don't know about you, but my day of relaxing is actually relaxing and doing nothing. Like, I know there are people, their day of relaxing is doing a 100 million different things because they can't sit still. Friday, Elizabeth was looking at me. She's like, all right, so what's our plans for today? I was like, plans? We gotta have plans? (laughs) I was going to sit right here. And then I'm laying on my couch reading, drinking coffee at 12. And she's like, I just, I can't do what you're doing right there. I just got to go walk around the store. I got to do something right now. I'm like, nah, this is awesome for me. My ideal day is wake up, eat cereal, drink coffee, watch TV, play some video games, read a book, and do all of that all day. Anyways, I've got to have rest. Our body really does need physical rest. You know this. This is a reality. Every single day, we've got to have rest. But the Sabbath also serves another thing. It provides us spiritual rest. It nurtures us spiritually. It brings us rejuvenation. And it does this in in two different ways. First, the, 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 the Sabbath fosters our need for God. It helps us realize that we cannot do this life on our own. We are dependent on him. I don't know if you remember, if you've been a Christian for a while, God was bringing his people, Israel, out of captivity in Egypt. Well, they're in the wilderness and they have no food, so he starts raining bread down from heaven. But what did he tell them? You can only gather enough that you need for the day. You can't save up anymore. And I will provide for you again the next day. And then they finally get to the Sabbath day. And what does he say? He said, you're going to have to gather enough for today and tomorrow. Why? Because you are going to rest, keep my day holy, and trust that I will provide for you. When you cease from working, when you cease from doing, when you even cease from doing things that are maybe relaxing in your book, working on the car, working on this or that, writing your book, doing your project, when you just cease, you're telling God, I can't do this life without you. And when you get in his presence, <clears throat> excuse me, and hear his word and sing these songs and bring tithes and offerings and do all these things to worship him, you say, Lord, spiritually, I can't live this life without you. You. But it does a second thing, a very similar thing. It reorients our lives away from ourselves and onto Jesus. It makes us not the center focus, but in fact, it's all about Jesus. See, in, in the Jewish community, they celebrate Sabbath on a Saturday, it's in step with creation. So for the first six days, God worked, then on the seventh day, He rested. It's Sabbath. But Christians have changed it just a little bit. See, we moved our Sabbath day and our day of worship to Sunday. Do you know why? Because it's on Sunday that our Lord Jesus resurrected from the grave. Christians literally changed the pace of their week to reorient it away from themselves and around Jesus Christ. I like to think of it like this, the the Jewish people oriented the the first Sabbath off of the creation of life. We orient our Sabbath off of the new creation through Jesus. They orient theirs off of the first life, we reorient ours off of the resurrection life. That even the day is supposed to make us look at God. But here's the issue in the church. Is that so many of us have set this day aside as just another day? It's a problem in our culture, in our community. Like, there are so many workplaces that do not care that church traditionally happens on a Sunday, they work you anyways. Maybe you're in here today and you're like, look, Evan, like, I wanna be here every Sunday, but I just can't. Like, I'm not preaching at you. Like, I'm not getting on to you. I'm not saying that you're in sin. you got to do what you got to do to put food on the table. They're the ones saying, hey, you've got to work on this Sunday. They're the ones pulling you away from Jesus because it's about money, not about him. There there are teams, there are ball teams and activities and band and dance and all these things. And look, those are awesome. Those are great things. That's awesome for your kid to be a part of. It's great for them to be able to use their gifts and develop them, but it's sad when every single weekend they've got you somewhere else and they're taking your kids from Jesus, taking your kids from Sunday morning, taking them away from the community of God. And then honestly, some of it's not work or an activity. It's just us. We've just got our priorities out of whack. And we think that if I just align my schedule the way I want it, I'll be all right. That I don't need rest in God's house. The mountains will do for me. I don't need a word from God. Lake Hart will will be enough. I'll just sleep in. That'll make me restful. And we put off God's house and the necessity of being in God's house. And under it, there is a subtle Arrogance that says, I know what's best for me, and you don't. And we'd never word it that way. We'd never form it that way. We'd never admit it that way. But that's what it is. Looking God in the face and going, I know you've been doing this from creation, but I don't. And the reason that so many of us are struggling in this room today is because we've been trying to do life on our own. The reason your anxiety levels are up to here, even though you've been going off on the weekend and sleeping in on Sundays and doing everything you can to rest, you've been listening to the doctor's orders, you still don't have peace about the situation. You, you, you still are at rest about what's going on in your life. The stress of work still isn't coming down. Why? Because you haven't entered into God's perfect peace and perfect rest and perfect presence here in the community of God. You wonder, why, why am I weak to these temptations all of a sudden? Like, I thought I was done with that when I was a teenager. But I'm, I'm still lying to get my way? Why am I, get, why am I giving into that now? I'm still looking at women in a way that I shouldn't? I thought I stopped that at 18. I'm I'm still not telling the government exactly how much I'm making to try and be a little dishonest and get what I can get. We think that we've gotten past these things, but as we've we've brought church to the level of something that doesn't matter, it's hurting us spiritually. The reason that you may be failing. And going down and struggling is not because you don't have enough rest. It's because you don't have enough rest in God's house. You need the church. You need the word. You need the worship. You need the community. You can't live this life without it because this world will tire you out. Just like every single week, you're working, you're getting up early, you're taking your kids to practice, you're working 8, 9, 10-hour days. You've got all of these things that you've got to do, and when Saturday comes, you're physically exhausted. You are being bombarded spiritually every day. It's not easy to do what's right when everyone else at work is doing what's wrong. It's not easy, I'm sure, to raise your kids in a world where everyone is telling them to do the wrong things and confusing them eight hours a day at school and you're trying to steer them the right way. It's not easy living in a world where there's constantly bad news from the doctor and bad news in the news and there's another shooting somewhere. Eventually, it just starts to weigh down on us and just as we get physically tired, we get spiritually tired. There are days as a pastor where I hear the things that you have to go through, the family members that have died that you're grieving over, the diagnosis that you get, the surgeries that you have to go through, the things that your kids are facing. And some days I just drop my head and I just go, Jesus, would you just please come back already? This is almost too much to handle. This world is heavy, It's spiritually tiring. And if you don't take time to spiritually rest and rejuvenate, you will have a hard time making it. We need the church. But maybe you're asking today, all right, Evan, that's cool. I agree with everything that you're saying. But why can I not just do my own thing, sit at home, watch a sermon online, watch something on TV, listen to the podcast later, why do I have to like be in church and be a part of the church? Well, because historically, this is what the church has always done. In all of church history, we've never but just shrunk back into our individual families. It's never been individual. It's always been about the church gathering and meeting. Even in the Bible, like the very, very early church constantly, consistently gathered together. Look at this in the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 40 through 47. Here's what it says. This is the early church. The church has just been started. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as any one had need. When we look at the very early church in the Bible, they have always been gathering together. It's never been about personal devotion time, even though that's good. It's never been only me and my Bible, even though that's fantastic. It's always been the community of God. But, but I mean, here's why. What's, what's the first thing they did? It was baptism. What's baptism? It's a public profession of your faith. Keyword public. You're announcing to the world, I, I've been baptized into Christ, into his body, into the church. You're letting everyone know that. But then, he, then it says this, that, um, that they listen to the apostles' doctrine. Now, this is the Bible. This is preaching and this is teaching. Explain. And you might say this, well, look, Evan, that's cool and all, but, but I can go on YouTube. I can listen to some of the best preachers in the world today. Like, I don't know about you, but I've got preachers that I love listening to all the time. Like Matt Chandler, that guy is my favorite preacher. Love that guy. But Matt Chandler doesn't know what I'm going through and what I need. But you know who does? My pastor and these pastors. Man, Jensen Franklin is an amazing preacher. Awesome. Runs a fantastic ministry. But Jensen Franklin doesn't know when your family's been in the hospital for two weeks straight and there's no end in sight. He doesn't know when a tragedy hits Anderson and our people are grieving. He doesn't know the struggles that your kids have been facing. But you know who does? I do. And it bleeds through in the word and it bleeds through in the preaching because we are not just preachers, we are your pastors. And your shepherds. And we so desperately want to love you and guide you and lead you. Be in church to listen to your pastors. But then what do they do? They have fellowship. Quite frankly, you can't have Christian fellowship just in your family. Even if your whole family is saved. The picture of the church is not just families. It's a brand new family of people of all kinds of different races and backgrounds and socioeconomic statuses and political beliefs and whatever else. The church has always been a fellowship of people who may not share the same bloodline, but they've been saved by the same blood of Jesus and united to him. That's what the church is. It says that they, um, they had the breaking of bread. Most scholars think this is a reference to communion. Typically, the church celebrates the body and the blood of Christ together. Here at High Praises, we do it four times a year. That the body of Christ feasts on the body, the blood of Christ to celebrate what he's done for us. It's a public, it's a community thing. The picture of the church is never individual. It's always communal. Think about this the apostle paul consistently consistently tells us that we are the body of christ that we are individual body parts but when you take yourself away from the body the rest of the body suffers but what's worse for you is at least they got 98 percent body when you leave you're just one little part here on your own but imagine this picture if you're a stomach that's weird i don't know anyways just pretend you're the stomach What does the stomach want to do? It wants to fill itself. But it can't do that on its own. It needs hands to pick up the food, eyes to see the food, a mouth to put the food in, teeth to chew it, a tongue to swallow it. Every part of the body needs every other part of the body. You were not designed to do this Christian life alone. And I love this. The Apostle Paul says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now that's... Fits on an individual basis we all have the Holy Spirit in us if you're saved they said that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone but us as the church build a temple every time we gather and I don't mean a physical building I mean that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, the head, the beginning, but then you get here, and you get here, and you get here, and you get here, and I get here, and by the end of it, we've built a great big temple, and you know what the temple is for? The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and it's when the people of God get together that His Holy Spirit moves in, invades in, transforms us, and comforts us, and speaks to us, and changes us, and that's something that you just can't get, and your personal personal prayer time all the time that's the reason when we gather God's spirit shows up in a mighty and miraculous way it's why we love events like worship nights it's why we gather together so regularly because when the people of God gather together as the temple he shows up be at church so here's what I want to encourage you do your best to be at church every single Sunday as much as you can do you have activities? Do you have birthday parties? Do you have other things? Plan them on Saturdays. Work your schedule around. Parents, don't ever let your kids hear you say, We've got, we have to go to church today. Let them hear you say, we get to go to church today. It's an honor and a privilege to be in God's house. Lead the way. I want to encourage you, serve the house. Go through growth track. Discover your spiritual gifts and serve. Nothing will make you love these people in God's church more than if you've invested time into it and servitude into it. You want to love the church? Get involved in the church. Be here. And finally, be a bringer. When we read that that part in Acts, what did it say? They were adding people all the time. 3,000 people got saved. The church should be a growing church. This family should be a growing family. Don't just be at church. Bring to church. And that's why next Sunday we are encouraging you to be here at our Back to Church, Bring to Church Sunday. Something that we just labeled. A time when we're hoping everybody will be settled in, done with their trips. They'll be back in town. We want to encourage you, start next Sunday, Sunday by making that Sunday a priority. And don't let next Sunday be a one-time thing. Let it be a brand new start to the pace of your life, a brand new start to walking in obedience. Be here next Sunday. But next Sunday is not just back to church, it's also bring to church. We want to bring a, be a growing church, and that's why we've given you these little cards right here, just as something to show you that God loves you. We want to equip you in any way, way that we can to see people be at church and receive the life-giving message of Jesus. So I want to encourage you, if you've never done it before, take one of these. If this seems scary to you, take one of these. Think of somebody right now that you can invite and you can bring. Make an investment next week, not just to be back at church, but to grow the house, because that. Is what church is all about. If you can't make it through your week without Jesus, and if you can't make it to your eternity without Jesus, neither can they. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.